in with us. We're starting a brand new series today. It's called Reset, and it is about how we reset in our day and time. We're going to be walking some through the book of Acts. It's where we are jumping off from in our teaching. Uh, we're, we're going to be looking at different passages over the next five to six weeks uh, in, in the book of Acts. And today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to ask that you get a piece of paper, you get a pen. If you don't have one, grab one of those blue cards. And I want you to take a few notes. I want you to be able to look at some things uh, because some of the passages that we're dealing with today, they're going to be uh, illuminated by what we see in the Old Testament. And I want you to be able to go back and see those. I am about to celebrate a, uh, an anniversary of a date that is pretty important in my life. It was a day that changed everything in my life. February the 24th, 1991, I woke up with a woman in my bed. Yeah. The reason that changed everything is because of what happened literally on February the 23rd, 1991. I married my wife, Amy. Now, being married and dating are very similar. I mean, we went out for two years. Uh, we, I would, would buy her a meal. She would receive that meal. We would, <laughs> you know, uh, she got access to my money because of the things that I would do. But when we got married, she actually, my money became her money. We started signing our names to all these documents together. We, uh, I mean, yes, I woke up with a female in my bed. That was a benefit, but I need you to hear my life changed on the 23rd. Everything was different from that day forward. Uh, I couldn't make a decision without her being involved in it. Prior to that, I could make decisions on my own. I chose not to because I wanted her to marry me on the 23rd. <laughs> but at that point, she became a part of everything, and I became a part of everything with her. My life it's like I went to bed and I woke up and everything's different. Listen, you know, I think in our world today, probably three, four years ago, we as American Western Christians went to bed and woke up in an entirely different world. And you may not even realize that that's happened. Let me narrow it down a little bit. From whether it is COVID, it is racial tension, it's political tension that has invaded the churches, whether it is uh, philosophical, inst uh, you know, university philosophical beliefs and ideologies that are affecting us. You know, we, uh, COVID has just kind of magnified all kinds of things, hasn't it? I mean, I, I, do you I don't know if you realize this. But pre-COVID numbers of people who were in, were in our churches, it, they've dwindled by 35 to 40%. I mean, it, we woke up and things are different. You know, it used to be in our world that pastors were respected. Now they're suspected for a lot of different things. You hold them at arm's length. Christians today... You know, uh, Christians today are looked at in many instances as being bigoted or on the wrong side of history because we don't adopt and go along with every, or we, well, you don't go along with what people would desire us to go along with. Folks, do you realize that 
we live in a day and time where if, you, if your religious beliefs are different, it's difficult to be a cake baker or a photographer. Because if I don't bake cakes and photograph alternative lifestyles, you're canceled. Folks, we live in unique days. But I also want you to hear this. I want to be really clear about this. The first century church, the first century church, the church in Acts that we're going to look at over the next five or six weeks, you know what? Um, They lived in times that were exponentially worse than what we're living in today. And the gospel... It didn't falter, it didn't flounder, it flourished. I'm not one who is a gloom and doom. I do think our days have changed. The time, we're not going back, you realize that. But I need you to know the gospel, the gospel is alive. And we as his church, we have to begin to look at what was it that was going on in the first century churches that allowed that to flourish? What were those marks? You know, behind me, you see kind of the, uh, a symbol of what this series, our series is called Reset because we really wanted to reset us as believers and a church. And this symbol is the Cairo, Cairo symbol. It, it is Chi and Rho, Chi being the X, the first, it's a Greek letter, and Rho, the P, superimposed. These are the first two letters in, in Christ, the name Christ, that is, is from, from Greek. This symbol is an ancient symbol that was utilized uh, by the early church. Let me tell you how it came into being. It came into being because of Constantine, the emperor Constantine in 312. He was about to go to battle. And as he was about to go to battle, at a battle called the Bridge of Milvian, uh, Legend, story has it that he saw a sign in the sky of the Cairo. And the Cairo symbol, he heard a voice saying, under this banner, you shall conquer. He went to his army, to his generals, to those, and they placed this symbol on their shields. And he went out to battle and won a decisive battle. In 313, at the Edict of Milan, Christianity became legal in all of the Roman government, all the Roman uh, empire, which al- allowed and it stopped persecution of over around 300 years of persecution of Christians and allowed Christians then the religious freedom to begin to express uh, how they desired to live and to, to spread their gospel, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be really clear here. We've chosen this because this was a mark that was used. It's an ancient symbol. I'm not asking you to go out, get a new tattoo of the Cairo somewhere. That's not what we're doing. That's, this is just an emblematic for us to begin to ask, well, what were those pieces, those characteristics? What were the things, the marks of the early church, and we need to get back to those. Because in Acts, the gospel began to spread. It began to spread like wildfire in days and times which are worse than ours. So what is that? Acts chapter 1. Today, we're going to spend just a few moments speaking about 
one of the one of the marks, the first mark that I want you to see. And the first mark has to do with this. It's the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear that. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. Now, for those of you who uh, you've been around a while, you know that this is a Baptist church. And Baptist churches typically don't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. We should. We should talk more about the Holy Spirit. But we're going today spend a few moments because if the Holy Spirit was so evident in the lives of the early believers, and that is where their power came from, then we need to know that. We need to be able to look at that. We need to be able to see that. Now, with that, it's very important. I got a couple of things that I want to make sure that you hear. As followers of Jesus Christ, as orthodox followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we're called monotheistic. We worship one God, one God. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the Shema, the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, He is one. But God is also, also, He is triunity. Now, some of you, you just went off the rails. You're going, what now? Hold on. Yes, he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is one, yet three. He is three, yet one. Some of your, your brains are blowing up right now. Mine is too. I, I'm going to just be honest with you. Augustine says that if you, uh, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. If you try to explain this Trinity, you'll lose your mind. That's one of the fathers. I wish I could tell you and explain all the ins and outs of how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, yet three. I wish I could make that very, very... There's all kinds of illustrations that people try to use. You know, I'm a man. I'm one. I'm, I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm also a husband. But that falls short because I'm one, yet the Scripture tells us that God is three, yet one. We can bring up three different people up here, and we can say, listen, all of these, listen, these are three, and they have these functions, but we're not one. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to see. I say this often, and this is why this is so important right now to me, is that we come to the Scripture as followers of Jesus Christ. And when we come to the Scripture, we take what the Holy Word, the Word of God has to say, and we say, I believe this. I come under this. I submit my life to this. And the Scripture is very clear that we don't worship three gods. We worship one. He is one. Yet the Scripture is also very, very clear that He's also three. Three in one. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 11, I want you to write that down. I want you to go see it this afternoon. It's usually a Christmas passage. Uh, we use it at Christmas often. But in there, you see the picture pointed forward of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit, the Lord, and the one who would come. You see all throughout the New Testament that we are a Trinitarian group of people because we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. We follow that. We are not, maybe you've heard this word, Unitarian, where everyone goes to heaven. Or you, they, deny, they deny that God, God the Son, they deny God the Spirit. We, we believe 
Jesus was fully God and fully man. We believe that the Spirit of God is God. And we believe that God the Father is one, yet three. So with that, as kind of the preface, laying the groundwork for us to be able to see, there's three things I want you to catch today as we read through these passages in Acts. Number one is this, is we're going to see the promise of the Spirit. Number one, we're going to see the promise of the Spirit. Number two, we're going to talk about the arrival of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And number three, we're going to see the power of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So with that, let's begin reading in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, 4 and 5, it says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart. Now hold on, I want to make sure you get this. He, being Jesus, was staying with them, the disciples. It says, as while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. He says, waiting for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 8 says this, a, little, a couple of verses down. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, what you have here, what you're seeing in this chapter is that you've all, Jesus is about to go back to heaven. All right, Acts chapter 1, if you're looking there with me, back up just a little bit. You see, Jesus has been with them. They have seen him for 40 days. The scripture tells us that they were in a room. They were there waiting. They were in this upper room waiting, and Jesus is with them, and he starts to give them their last and final orders. Uh, listen, pre-game speeches, like the ones you're going to hear tomorrow night with Alabama and Georgia, Saban and Smart, those are the types of things that athletes live for. That's the types of things that coaches live for. Great military speeches, great graduation speeches that are inspiring. Some of you are going, you didn't go to my graduation. It wasn't very good. But graduation speeches even. Folks, listen, I need you to hear. Jesus is speaking to his, his team, his people, and he says, listen, the, the power of God is about to come upon you. You're about to go. I'm about to send you out. You're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but not yet. Not yet. I want you to wait. I want you to hang on. I don't want you to rush out of here. And the reason I don't want you to rush out of here yet is because the power of God has not come. The one who was promised has not come yet. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I hope you'll write that down, you see Ezekiel prophesy that the Spirit of God would come, that he himself would be coming. In the Old Testament, wherever you see uh, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the phrasing that you typically have is that the Holy Spirit has come up on someone, and then the Holy Spirit would depart from them. Uh, specifically, even in the Judges, the book of Judges, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othanel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. The reason that the Spirit of God would come upon people like that is because their sins had not been atoned for yet by the death of Jesus Christ, and so the Spirit of God would not reside, could not reside within them at that point, but he would come upon them. Jesus has spent three years with his disciples saying, hey, this is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to John chapter 14, write John chapter 14 down. As you read in John chapter 14, he says, listen, I'm going to go back to the Father. And if I don't go, 
the comforter will not come. The paraclete will not come. The, the helper, the teacher, he will not come. I must go. It is better for me to go so that the promised one can come. He spent three years teaching them. So he's now about to leave so that the power who would reside in them would come to help them accomplish the mission. Folks, I want to give you a, a slight little history lesson here for a second. From 1950, probably till, I would say, early 2000s, there may even still be churches who are doing this. You know, I, I think we saw a lot, specifically in the United States. How about this? Let me narrow it down. Specifically in the United States, we got a lot of people in the seats, but we didn't get a lot of disciples to the streets, if you will. Okay? And the reason for that, I believe, is a couple of things. Number one, it's, uh, we, we, we bought into, churches bought into pragmatism. I need to have the best strategies. I'm looking at business models. I'm looking at strategies. I'm looking at, you know, if we do this and we organize this way, if we take care of this and if we enlarge this building and we get this thing and we do this thing, and you know what happens? People come. You, strategically, they come. But they end up leaving when the next church down the street begins to strategically come up with better plans than they, this church had come up with. You see, the power was not there. It's the power. They were relying, the churches have relied on their own intuition, their own good models. There's also what's called attractional models where, hey, let's get lights and camera, let's get smoke, let's get lasers, let's get great facilities. How about we build a, 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 a playground that rivals what you would get at Disney? That's great until the next church updates, and then we create consumer mindsets, and we tiptoe down to the next church down there because they've got something that's different than what this one has, and all of it in the name of really trying to do something. There's a model called being seeker-driven. Those who are far from God, what do they like? Let's do what they like, and maybe they'll come. Folks, I, I want to make sure. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to the first church. There was nothing pragmatic, attractive, or seeker-sensitive about early believers being beheaded and boiled for their faith. Nothing. The Scripture says that the church exploded because the power of the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in the people of God, those who had surrendered and submitted their lives. That is what we need today. We don't need cool factor. Yes, we need to plan. I need to make sure that you hear me. God, God is a God of order. He plans. But we, when we plan, we say, God, but you do. God, you do. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to come and you to take over. And we sang a song about and talked about a minute ago, making room for the Holy Spirit. We, we attempt to try to make room for the Spirit to speak to you so that you can then, so that I, so that we as a body, can we respond to what the Spirit is telling us to do? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read it a minute ago. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power. What's he going to give you power to do? To be his witnesses. 
Folks, listen, if you're not being a witness for Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, if you're not being that witness, the question that I have is, does the power of the Holy Spirit reside in you? And if the power of the Holy Spirit does not reside in you, the question is, is do you know Jesus? That I'm... I don't, listen, I hope you don't think I, I try to come up here each week and just start stomping on people's feet. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm wanting is for us to look at the word and say, God, what do you desire of us? Uh, if you feel weak as a follower of Christ, the question is, is are we walking as spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ. Does the power of God reside in us? And what is the power of God? It is the Holy Spirit who is alive. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Does he reside in your life? The second thing quickly is this. Not only do you see the promise of the Spirit at the beginning of Acts, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I want to read this. The Scripture tells us this. Luke is writing, and he says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Verse 2 says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Uh, that's kind of key. They were all in an, still in that upper room, in that house where they were sitting, it says, and the, the, the sound, this wind came. And, verse 3 says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance to them. Now, this passage, this verse, this section here, there is so much Old Testament wrapped in that I want to draw some correlations for you. I want you to begin to see this because if we don't see this, we can uh, so much can get lost right here. You remember the Israelites being in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, they were held captive uh, in Egypt. You remember that? You remember that? Okay. Some of you don't, so let me explain it to you. Uh, they were held captive in Egypt for many hundreds of years. I think it was around 400 to be exact. They were there. And Moses comes. God calls Moses. He sends him to Egypt. He says, go and set your people free. Go set my people free. So Moses goes, and he, he comes before Pharaoh. He does all of these different plagues that are from God. And he does nine of them. He does nine of them. Pharaoh never lets the people go. He calls them to let them go. He never lets them go. The last plague was the plague uh, of the firstborn. It was the plague of the firstborn uh, that Moses said, listen, uh, you let us go or tonight the firstborn's going to die across the land. Moses goes to the Israelites and he says, but God has made a way for you. You're to kill a new lamb, one without defect. When you kill it, you're going to take the blood and you're going to put it across the doorpost, the lintel of your house. You put it across, and the death angel, when he comes through tonight, when he sees the blood of the lamb covering your house, he will pass over you. He will pass over your house. Uh, that The death angel came through that night, and when he came through, all of the firstborn, all the firstborn males, all the firstborn of the animals died all throughout 
Egypt. And Pharaoh got up and there was a wailing and said, send them away. And they began to leave. They rushed out of there. You remember they went across the the Red Sea, it parted. 50 days later, they ended up at a mountain, Mount Sinai. Do you remember this story? They end up at Mount Sinai. So they end up at Mount Sinai. Do you remember what they received at Mount Sinai? The law. Moses goes up on the mountain and the scripture says that a cloud came down and fire around, around the mountain. His presence was there. He received the Ten Commandments. And when he received the Ten Commandments, he came down off the mountain. When he came off the mountain, do you remember what was happening in the camp? There was basically uh, a sexual party of worship around a golden calf that had been made around a golden calf that had been made. The scripture says that Moses took the stone, the stone tablets, he threw them down, and when he threw them down, uh, he went before God, and there was a judgment that happened throughout the, the nation. And in that judgment, there were 3,000 people who died. 3,000 people who died. Now, 1,500 years later, 1,500 years later, you with me? You there? 1,500 years later, during the feast of Passover, at the very moment that the high priest was slaughtering the scapegoat, the lamb, the one that covered the sin of the people, the, the scripture te- or history tells us that uh, all of the Jewish families would bring a lamb and offer it to the priest, and it would be killed. History tells us that uh, there was so much blood that when it ran off of the altar, it would run down through the streets and make a river. At the very moment that the sacrificial lamb was being killed on the altar, our Jesus hung on a cross at the very moment, and he became our sacrificial lamb, our Passover lamb. Fifty days later is where we are today in Acts chapter 2. Fifty days later, Jesus had been with his disciples for 40 days. He ascends back to to heaven. He says, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The scripture tells us that while they were all assembled there, about 10 days later, During Pentecost, Penta 5, during the gathering where the people would come together, and why did they come together? To remember the giving of the law that Moses brought down off of the mountain. He wrote the law on stone tablets It says that while they were gathered, the Holy Spirit came and he came through. And what did he do? Ezekiel chapter 36, when when the prophecy of the Holy Spirit coming says this, that he would take out your heart of stone and he would replace it with a heart of flesh. At the moment that these people, Jerusalem is filled, they're gathered there, they are remembering Moses bringing down the stone tablets of the law, the Holy Spirit comes through and says, no longer will it be tablets of law, it will be my law, my law written on your heart of flesh. 
where 3,000 died. Acts chapter 2, 41. I'd like for you to write that down. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the scripture says that Peter had gotten up and he had preached the gospel that Jesus Christ, he had come and he was sent by God. And he said, you crucified him. And the people that day responded. And do you remember how many people came to Christ who surrendered their lives, who submitted their lives to Jesus on that day? 3,000. 3,000. Do you see how full, how rich this passage is with the arrival of the Holy Spirit? And why did he come? He came to wash away, to not... Jesus had fulfilled the old law and now the new covenant had come and the Holy Spirit ushered in. He ushered in. This is the arrival of the Spirit. Lastly, I want us to look at the power of the Spirit and then we're going to draw some conclusions. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse 5 and follow on down through 8. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Who's there? Devout Jews from every nation dwelling in Jerusalem. Catch that. And at this sound, the multitude came together. What is the sound? The sound of the mighty rushing wind. So that this, they came rushing together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in, our, in his own native language? Look at verses 12 and 13. Acts 2, 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But there were others who were mocking, and they said, they're filled with the new wine. Folks, what you have right here is the new wine of the Holy Spirit who is coming. The Holy Spirit has come. Notice what were the three signs of the Holy Spirit coming. This was in verses 1 through 4. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The the three signs of the Holy Spirit. It was a mighty rushing wind. It was a tornado. It wasn't a It was like a tornado blowing through town. It was, how do we know that? Because it says that people heard it and they came rushing from everywhere. Multitudes came rushing from everywhere. The scripture says that the second thing is, is that tongues as a fire rested on them. Folks, listen, everywhere in the Old Testament, when you see wind and fire, you see a movement of God. God is moving. This is a picture of God himself, God the Holy Spirit moving in power. And what was the third thing that you saw? They spoke in other tongues, other languages. And I put to you, these are real languages, real tongues, known. Why? Because the scripture, look at the scripture says, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? They knew and they understood. What was it they understood? They were hearing the goodness of God and the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus being preached in their own language. They heard that. And Acts 2, 41 says they responded and they were saved. They were saved. Folks, I need you to hear this. Make sure that we're really clear here. 
when you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you surrender your life to him, you get all of Jesus and all of the Spirit at that moment. You get everything of him. There is no second blessing. There is no uh, other sign that you are waiting and having to pray for. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and he invades your life, and he sets up residence there. Because Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is the power that we have. What is the power of the Holy Spirit, or why does the power of the Holy Spirit reside in us? So that we might proclaim his name. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in us so that we can name it and we can claim it so that I can have my best life now, so that I can reach my most full potential. You want to reach your most full potential? Start sharing the name of Jesus. When we share the name of Jesus, we are walking in the power of the Spirit. You may feel inadequate, but that's, listen, listen, in my weakness, he is made strong. The power of the Spirit residing in us. What was the first mark of the New Testament believers that allowed them to be able to live uh, not a floundering life, but a flourishing life, one of obedience, is that the Holy Spirit resided in their life and they manifested his presence. And I'm not talking about Oprah Winfrey manifestation. Speak it and it happens. I'm talking about being obedient to his scripture. You remember last week when we were in Colossians and we talked about we should, uh, we should be, Christ is all. He is all. He is everything. He is all of our life. Well, what is the mark? What what are the marks of him being all? The first one is this, is that we are led by the Spirit of God who resides in our life. And if today you're sitting around going, I just don't, I don't know. I don't feel it. I feel, rather than feeling power, I feel defeat. I don't, I don't feel like he is there. I'm going to ask you this. Are you walking in submission to the Holy Spirit? Because, listen, he, he resides in your life if you've surrendered your life to him. If you've said, Jesus, I'm faithing you and I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you for salvation. You realize that you trust him for salvation and then he empowers you to live that salvation out here on earth. So that others would come to know him as Lord and Savior. And that's not of your own power. It's only in the power of the Spirit. So if you're not sharing Christ, if you're not living the life of Christ in the power of the Spirit, you will feel weak. You will feel defeated. Some of you today, well, well, how does that work? What, What are the practicalities of that? How does this all work its way out? I want to read a couple of... Of, of uh, quotes to you. John Piper says that throughout history, cultural breakthroughs for the gospel have come because of, check this, periodic extraordinary outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards says this, from the fall of man to our day, the work of redemption and its effects have mainly been carried out carried on by the extraordinary communications of the Spirit of God. How does he do that? Through his believers who say, God, I'm yours, I trust you, I'm submitting to you moment by moment by moment. As a follower of Christ, I need you to know, the Holy Spirit resides in your life. You have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. You don't have to ask for more because you've got everything. 
You got all of him. The question now is this, are you walking in the power and are you filled with the spirit moment by moment? You remember last week when I talked to you in this series, if you weren't here last week, go back and watch that message on Colossians 3. Listen, I'm praying in the morning that I want Jesus to be the first thought. At 4.30 in the evening, when I'm about ready to go home, I want Jesus to be the first thought. When I walk in the door, rather than why and things ready, I want Jesus to be the first thought. Because when he is the first thought, when, when then I'm walking in the power and being subject to the Holy Spirit, things look different in our homes. If, if that's what you're asking the Lord to do, your workplace will look different. You Well, let me rephrase that. Your workplace may not completely look different, but you'll look different in your workplace. You there? What we've been called to do is every day we go before the Father in the mornings. Sometime you're going to Him and you're submitting your life to Him. God, uh, today I'm yours. I'm, I'm taking in your word. I'm taking in your word. Just like Galatians tells us in chapter 5, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know what it looks like to be submitted to the Spirit? It's you exhibiting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. No law. We are not under law. We're under grace by the power of the Spirit who is alive in us. And when we begin to exhibit those things, you remember last week in in, in Colossians, Colossians 3, when we were talking about putting on compassion, letting the Word of God dwell richly in us, when those things are active in our lives, when we are walking with Him, when we are exhibiting those things, you're walking in the power of the Spirit. You're being submitted to him each and every moment. Now, knowing this, listen, I struggle. I, I'm still, I was talking to somebody a little while ago, and they said, man, I, I, this is a difficult, it is. It's going to be difficult for us until the day that we get glorified bodies because we're still dragging around this old fleshly body, and we're doing battle against it. You remember Paul saying the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing them? See, even Paul had to go to the Father and say, God, I want to submit to you. I'm following you. Fill me up. May that I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. This isn't a rhetorical one. It's not a rhetorical one. That means we get to talk back. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus that has power in your life, Holy Spirit power in your life? Yeah. Do you want to be a part of a church that has power? I mean, like the power of the Spirit, where people will go, man, there's something different there. The, the, the Spirit of the Lord is moving in that church. You want a church like that? Folks, that means that we get before Him. We open His Word and we get into it and we ask Him to change us as we're walking throughout the day. Father, give me power. Holy Spirit, fill me up. I want to walk in submission to you. And when you don't walk in submission to him, do you know what's going to happen? There's going to be something in you. It's the Holy Spirit who resides in you, who's going to ding, 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 ding. What does it mean to walk in submission to the Spirit in that moment? You repent. 
Father, forgive me. That did not honor you. I agree with you. My life did not line up. Thank you for your forgiveness. Listen, you're sitting in worship, and we're singing. We're singing. And it's not great voices or instruments. And we have great voices and we have great instruments. But you begin to feel a stirring maybe in your life where you think, I really want to raise my, I want to raise my hands. But you decide, what, what's everybody going around me going to see? What are they going to think? Folks, you, do you realize at that moment, if you sense that, you're, the Holy Spirit's calling you to that. You do that. You begin to sense in your life, you're at home. And there's, uh, not that this happens in your home, but there's a little dust up between you and your spouse. You walk away and you begin to go, uh, I really need to go back and I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to say I'm sorry. Or is it, uh-uh, they're coming to me. Which of those do you respond to? When you sense Anything that says, this is the way in which you walk, that honors Jesus, and you don't, then you're not walking in the power of the Spirit. You're not walking Spirit-filled. If you're with me and you got this, you understand this. This is making a little sense. Can you shake your head or something? Folks, it's not that complex. You may feel like it is. Do you know why it feels that way? It's because you're not accustomed to doing what the Spirit calls you to do. And when we start walking with what the Spirit has to say to us, and the Spirit's always going to be in accordance to His Word. Because in John 14, He says He's going to remind, Jesus said the Spirit's going to come, the Spirit of truth, and He's going to guide you in all truth. He will remind you of what I've said. So the Spirit is never going to lead you away. Now, listen, in our day and time, you've turned on the TV channel, maybe two or three channels, and you've seen all kinds of crazy done in the name of the Holy Spirit. Listen, here's what I want you to know. Number one, that doesn't line up with 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is very clear about what the Spirit, how we move and obey the Spirit in a gathering. Very clear. I want you to, before you come start peppering me, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 14. I want you to look at it, and then we'll talk about it. And before you walk away, if you're new here and you think, these guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe completely in the Holy Spirit, and I think the Holy Spirit who worked in the Old Testament is the same Spirit who worked in the New Testament, and I think He's still the same today because God is forever unchanging. Okay? I want more spirit-filled, spirit-submission followers of Jesus. And when we do that, when I do that, I hope you're asking God to make me that. Because I'm asking God to do that with you. But first off, that means some of you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to submit to Him. And I use that word very specifically. He's calling you to submit to him. Not my way, but yours. I, I know I want to go this way, but I'm going to go this way. Because this is the way that honors the Lord. This is the way that says, I'm submitted to Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Today, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. My prayer for you is that your eyes have been opened 
in this message, not because of any something I've said, not because of something we've sung, because the Holy Spirit is stirring you. And if he is stirring you, that means he's calling you to obey. Follower of Jesus, if you've not been walking in spirit submission, being in his power, I need you to understand this. We do not live in a vacuum where what I do only affects me. You walking in the Spirit affects this church. Me walking in the Spirit affects this church. And when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we see His manifest presence in our body and we hear Him, He's speaking to us and we respond to Him, there's power in that. Supernatural power. Because you're obeying what the Spirit has called you to. Father, I love you and I honor you. I thank you for the privilege that you give us to look at your word. And I'm asking today, God, that you would do whatever it is that you desire in our midst. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, will have freedom to move and draw people. Jesus, we magnify you. Holy Spirit, we want to obey you. In this moment, if you would like to talk with someone, I'll be out at the back in the foyer, and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Maybe you want to come to this altar, and you want to kneel, and you want to pray. I want you to know this altar is open for that. Maybe the Spirit is calling you to step out and go speak to someone and pray with them. Listen, if you sense the Spirit speaking to you, you obey Him. Father, we magnify you. May you have your way today. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Zion.